You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 854 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday into Tuesday. And today's show is mostly a discussion that I had with Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Uh, actually went on Josh's show earlier this week to talk about the NBA draft, a couple of different prospects that we discussed, and I wanted to go ahead and play that audio for you here in crossover fashion. With that said, I wanted to go ahead and plug as well. We've had all kinds of content already in the last couple of weeks with Brian Schroeder on a lot of the top prospects in his class. Yesterday's show was Denny Evdia. And before that, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, Anika Kongwu, Obi Toppin, etc., etc. We have more to come with Brian as well in the coming days, as well as all kinds of NBA draft content that is still in our archives and still relevant at this point in time. So check all of that out right now. And also a ton of um, free agency stuff as well, some Hawk stuff, etc., etc. Also, I want to get to one news item that actually happened on Monday. Not not huge news, but something I wanted to give you the latest on, and that is the CBA negotiations that are happening between the players and the league. Andrew Wojnarowski of ESPN reported on Monday that the NBA had a call with GMs around the league, and they reiterated on that um, call, basically, that there's no agreement as far as the timeline for next season just yet. Also, Woj cited a source saying that Adam Silver, the commissioner, told GMs that the league is, quote, running out of time for a December 22nd start for next year. That's kind of common sense. It's getting very down to the wire here. I guess the real deadline is probably the day before the draft because the draft is going to be have to, you know, you can't really have the draft and not be able to trade and not know what the salary cap is. But before that will be a lot better, obviously. And on the player side, they're probably still negotiating between themselves with regard to how much they want to prioritize the start date all the money stuff, etc. So nothing hugely uh, official as of Monday, um, or I, I guess not, nothing hugely different from Monday, but that's the latest that I have seen on this on this front as I'm recording here on Monday evening, so I want to go ahead and pass that along. Talks are continuing. That is the only news, though, for now. Okay, uh, before we get to Josh and I talking about the NBA draft, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Built Go. Whether it's a mental wall or a physical wall, I can break through it right now with Built Go every single day. And Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink. Energy is anything but fake. Instead, it's both lasting and it's natural. Built Go is easy to take a one and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase or golf bag or your pocket, get you through whatever you're facing today. Built Go is essentially a five hour energy without the same feeling of a crash. Plus, it's natural and it's better for the body as a result. And there are three delicious flavors to choose from in chocolate mint, peanut butter, honey, and chocolate coconut. Built Go is loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work. Let's to the podcast will perhaps know that I have multiple jobs that I have to tend to on a regular basis and sometimes a little bit extra to get through the day and the night, but BuiltGo is a fantastic solution to break through my own wall in order to try it for yourself. Visit BuiltGo.com, use the promo code LOCKED to get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Brad Roland, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me as always and uh, should be fun. So uh, normally you're on this show as a, is part of your role as the host of the Locked On Hawks podcast, but you do a lot of NBA draft work as well. And that's what we're going to be talking about in today's show. So we're not going to waste any time. Let's talk straight about these players. And the first guy that uh, when I asked you, you know, a bunch of players who you're higher on the consensus and who you're lower on. One of the names you gave me to start things off was Xavier Tillman, the center from Michigan State. He's not particularly large. He's six foot eight, six foot nine, 21 years of age. He averaged 14 and 10. Now, I'm pretty high on him as well. I had him in my mock draft in that uh, mid-teens sort of a range. 
Talk us a little bit through why you like Tillman uh, as a player in this draft. Yeah, like you said, I think people that didn't watch him a ton might be thrown off by the lack of measurables or the lack of explosive scoring numbers or the fact he's not a great shooter. But aside from that, he basically does everything else very well. Um, He was an exceptionally effective defensive player in college. I think that's going to translate. He may not be a dominant rim protector because of the lack of size, but he knows exactly where to be on the court pretty much at all times. Positioning, he's very strong, exceptionally strong for his size. He was able to push guys around who are other NBA prospects out of the Big Ten. Um, And then offensively, he really is uh, adept as a as a short roll passer, as a rebounder. He's not going to probably sp- stretch the floor a ton, but I think he could shoot eventually. That's that's, uh, that's probably a question of his. But even without it, I think he can be a two way functional quality role player, and that may not be sexy, but a guy like that who, who can play on both ends of the floor and stay on the court. More importantly for me, anyway in crunch time because he's so versatile and so smart and so physical that I think he can be a quality role player for a team that needs that kind of player. And at the price where I think he might end up going in this draft, it's a pretty good value to me. Yeah, look, there's a chance he slides into the second round, which to me, if that is the case, yeah, that's tremendous value. And the passing is something that's really, really important for him because he's not a guy that's going to be dominating the ball in terms of usage. Just 21% usage as a junior was 19% as a sophomore. That's not very high, but he can finish at a high rate. He's smart in terms of positioning offensively and defensively. And just getting a guy that, as you said, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, that when you throw him in there, you know he's not going to screw it up for you. Like He's going to be in there and just provide solid minutes, 18 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever it is. He's going to provide good defense. He's going to provide good offense. He's going to be able to pass. He's going to be able to hit targets in terms of on that short roll, as you mentioned. The shooting may or may not come, but I'm not even sure that's necessary for him to be um, a, a solid rotation player in the NBA. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that, that, that's a pivot point of, of the ceiling probably. But I think even without it, even if you're assuming he's not going to be able to shoot at a high level, you know, think of someone like Grant Williams. Yep. It's not a perfect, it's not a perfect comparison, but a similar player in that um, everyone seemed to like Grant Williams that watched him play a ton. And then if you, you see the sort of the theory of that in the NBA as a rookie, where he was playing reasonable minutes in a high-level NBA playoff game, and Tillman is probably more of a pure center, but sort of the same thing applies here. He's just going to be a very solid guy in a lot of different things, and that can often be overvalued. I think his stuff, his style translates as well to the NBA, and he's a guy that should not go out of the first round, but like you said, I think he might slide in the second. At that point, it's kind of a slam dunk for me. So where would you have him? Again, I had him top 20. If I look exactly where I had him, I think it was to Dallas at 18. Where would you have him on a, on a draft board? Yeah, so somewhere in there, I think um, probably late teens, early twenties. If you took him any earlier than that, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't be upset by it. I think there is a little bit of concern about ceiling, but in this draft where it's kind of a mess between like eighteen and forty, mm. uh, if you took him anytime, anytime in there, it's it's more than appropriate. And I think when you get into better teams, he makes even more sense. I don't think you would want him necessarily to be a guy you try to swing on as a rebuilding club, but a team like Dallas, like you said, or a playoff team that has aspirations pretty quickly here. I think he makes a ton of sense as a role player that may not start for you, but someone who could play real minutes for you right away. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is it's so many of the the guys in this draft, even guys that at the top end that I'm lower on, say like a Tyrese Halliburton, if they go to a good team, then they make a lot of sense. But if you're asking them to carry things on a bad team, it's just probably not going to work out. And Tillman's another one of those guys who fits into that mold. The next guy that, you, that we're going to talk about that you're higher on is a player who is really interesting as a prospect. That's Killian Tilly from Gonzaga, another center. 
22 years of age, 14 points per game last season, 40% three-pointers. It's not really the talent that we're questioning here with Tilly. Brad, because this is a guy who's been injured pretty consistently over his college career. Yeah, that's really the big thing with Killian Tilly. I think the consensus to the point that there actually is one on him is that if he was not a health risk, he would be an unquestionable first-round pick in this draft and probably, for me anyway, like a top 15-ish guy in this class. He is he is very old. Because, and honestly, that's probably because he was injured so much. He ended up having to stay in, stay in college a little bit longer than he probably should have. Um, and honestly, the first two years of college, he wasn't banged up as much. It's been the last two seasons. And he's still been able to produce you know half seasons of play in the last two years. But Tilly is basically everything you would want from a modern role player big man. He shoots it at a high level. He passes at a high level. He's uh, very, very solid and adept defensively not going to be a game changer there because he's not that um, physically gifted, but he's a decent athlete. He's long enough. He's a great passer on offense. He rebounds the ball well. He just does basically everything that you would want from a modern NBA big man. It's just the question of whether he can stay healthy. And honestly, that's a question that NBA teams, even in this weird offseason, this weird draft cycle, can probably answer better than you and I can on the outside. Somebody's going to have his medicals and the doctors will know better than we are. But if, if we assumed for one second that he's going to be healthy, he's definitely a first-round talent. And even with the risk of his injury stuff, if there's any chance that you can get two, three, four years out of him, I think the skill package is such where if, if, you're, if you're a playoff team, kind of like Tillman, if you're a playoff team that's picking in the 20s, I would consider it. I think he's probably not going to go in the first round, but from a talent perspective and what he's going to be, he should. It's just whether he can stay healthy or not. Yeah, I had him mid-second round um, as a player. Look, that shooting's unbelievable, really. When you look at the numbers, 44% over four years in college, and while we can say he's been injured, it's still 240 attempts. So you you buy him as being a a legit three-point shooter. It interestingly doesn't marry up with his free-throw shooting, which was just 75% over his college career, albeit on fewer attempts than he took from three, which is a little bit troubling as well, just not getting to the line at all and not hitting them down that level. Defensive stats aren't great, but still, he's able to put up uh, or at least play at a solid level defensively, but it is the injuries that are the big concern here with, with Tilly. Um, you know, what... what 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 are the injuries are we talking about here? Is it uh, you know one consistent injury? Is it just a myriad of things? Like, can we detail what sort of injuries he has gone through in college? It's really a myriad, which is unfortunate. I, I kind of wish it was one thing because then you would know you'd be able to you'd be able to sort of gather intel on it, and it might be debilitating. That's that's the downside of that. But on the bright side, if you're a team, you can look at that one area. If you, if you feel confident in it, you might feel good about drafting him. With Tilly, it was a, it was it was mostly leg stuff, but it was a thing here and a thing there. And like I said, he played half seasons in both his last two years. It wasn't like he was just out for full seasons. But he's just got the injury-prone label, and he's kind of earned it at this point in time. And it's not necessarily chronic from what I have heard, but again, we don't have the medical. And, you know, I understand being skeptical of it, but even with the shooting, like I guess the sample size questions about his shooting, I think he's gonna be a good shooter. I think he's gonna good. I think he's a good passer. I think defensively he's pretty good. Is he is he an explosive athlete? No, but at six ten, like he's not seven four either. Where if you have at a certain point at, at a certain size, you worry about injuries just inherently. But he's not that tall. You know, he's six ten. Six ten is like a pretty reasonable average size for a big. And again, like we're, we're kind of guessing, but it's not like he has one serious injury or two serious injuries. It's kind of just nicks and knacks, and we'll see. We just don't know. Honestly, I wish I did know because if I if I could tell you for sure what his medical situation was, I'd be a leg up on everybody else. But uh, we're all just guessing. Yeah, we are at this point, and it's it's worth a flyer. Um, I probably wouldn't in the first round just because the guaranteed money part yeah. of it. 
Um, whereas, you know, second round, top of the second round, you can go, here's four years with you know, the last two or last three being non-guaranteed or whatever it is. And then that gives you some security there. Whereas, you know, you, you pick him in the first round, you've got to pay a lot more for it and you've got at least two years guaranteed. And then if you don't pick up the team option, you lose you know, restricted rights on a player. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there. So I'd probably wait until, you know, that, that as I said, I had him 46 in my mock, but if he was went at 33 or 34, I don't think that would be an outrageous decision. If we flip things now, Brad, to the negative side of it, um, on Friday, I spoke with Rafael Barlow of NBA Draft Junkies about Precious Achua. He was higher on him than consensus. Um, I'm not. You're not either. So we talked a little <laughs> bit about his numbers on Friday's show, but tell me why you are down on Precious, because there are plenty of mock drafts and big boards around that have him as a lottery prospect. I, I had him as a second-round player. I just don't see it with this guy. Yeah, I don't really see it either. I think I might be a little bit higher than you based on what you just said. Um, but really, for me, I see Precious as a small ball center more yep. than anything else. There's this notion that he's this, you know, hyper athletic. He is, by the way, he is hyper athletic. And honestly, defensively, there's a lot to like because he could be this switchable, multifaceted defensive player. And that, if that proves to be true, then there's some value you can extract. It's the offense for me that I don't, I just don't see it on the offensive end of the floor. And as such, I think he's a center. And the problem with that is he's about six eight six nine, and that's not, that's not undoable. But he's not this physical marvel like Tillman, where he's just sort of a brick wall and can sort of hold up strength wise. He's the size of a power forward. But offensively, shot selection's been a problem for him in the past. I think he took some really, really bad shots in college. Part of that was that he was probably over-emphasized um, in the offense at Memphis. Part of that was James Wiseman not being there. Part of that, the fact that he was a big-time recruit. But I, I don't really see it on offense for the most part. The, the stuff I do like is, like I said, like the small ball, five potential energy, but all indications are that he doesn't necessarily see himself that way. Maybe he figures that out eventually, that that's going to be his best, best path forward. But for now... If you're drafting him to be like this, you know, hyper skilled power forward type that's a great athlete, all that stuff, and I've, I see the same thing that you've seen, like maybe some late lottery stuff for him, that's just too high. If you get into a spot where later in the 20s, a team that is going to draft him and utilize him in a specialized way, then sure, sign me up for that. But I think he just profiles as more of that like backup center energy type big, which can be valuable, but not somebody that you want to invest a top, you know, 15 pick in. Yeah, so what you said there ties into a lot of what I said about him last week. Um, and the way I I sort of put my case forward is that in terms of inability to understand what he is offensively is very much like what we saw for Dwight Howard in Washington and Charlotte in Atlanta, where he was just trying to do way too much that just didn't fit what he needed to do. Whereas Precious needs to be Los Angeles Lakers, Dwight Howard, the guy that rim runs, grabs offensive boards, plays defense, and doesn't try to do anything else. But he's got this idea that he can play at the wing and he can play at the four. When realistically, I don't think there's any way that that's going to be the case, but he's got to be able to understand what his role is. Maybe that is the case when he's in the NBA versus when he's in college. But in terms of you know, that sort of high-level role on an offense, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, honestly, what he is on offense, I think probably long-term, but definitely right now, is that like cleanup guy. It's yeah. kind of like you know your, your Montrez Harrell type, where Harrell's like one of the best at it, obviously, and he's much more you know, strong right now. But he's an energy, you know, offensive rebound, fly-around, pick-and-dive kind of threat. 
Um, not necessarily someone you throw the ball to and clear out. Maybe he can maybe he can attack a mismatch every once in a while. But I I, I totally agree with you. I think he's miscast as this you know um, more primary offensive option. He's a, he's a low usage rim running big for me, and that's probably going to be a backup. I mean, maybe if it, if it popped, he could be a starting center in the right situation if you if you had the right four next to him. But again, it's that it's that starting center that's not a high usage player, and it's about his defense being switchable. And, I, and honestly, I do like his defensive projection a lot. It's just. At his size, you got to figure out how that all works in your team concept. Could he close games at center defensively? Sure, he could. But on offense, there's just a lot that that he has to figure out, and most of it, like you kind of got into there, is just kind of settling down and figure out what he can and can't do. Yeah, he's not he's not that tall. We talked about that, six foot nine. No. But yeah, in terms of a role that someone's played almost to perfection over the parts of his career, not so much now. Someone like DeAndre Jordan, who goes out there and doesn't get the ball in offense, he catches lobs. He gets rebounds, he plays defense, and he grabs boards. And may the size difference is is decent there. It's probably three inches difference in terms of their height. So that's, I guess, a, a mark against him. But that's the sort of role that he should be looking to, to implement is to be DeAndre. Because he's not... Uh, Montrez Harrell's a high usage offensive player, and he's not going to be that sort of a guy. But just playing that role, that DeAndre Jordan role, play some defense, get your little yeah, cheapies in under the rim, and, and that's sort of what you need to do. That's how I see his yeah, best case scenario. And that's, that's pretty valuable, but... I don't want to take that in the lottery. I don't think there's much upside in that, especially if you're asking him to do a lot more offensively, which I'm not sure that most smart teams wouldn't. Now, let's also talk, and maybe you're just anti-Memphis. I don't know. But let's <laughs> let's talk about his uh, his teammate at Memphis, well, his teammate for three games anyway, James Wiseman, who um, some words came out today that he's not interested in going to Minnesota. Absolutely fair enough. Talk about him going to Charlotte or Charlotte wanting to trade up. The Warriors in the mix there as well. Some people have him outside the top 10. Like, who knows with this guy? He played three games for Memphis. He's a seven foot one center, 19 years of age. In those three games, the numbers are ridiculous. 20 points per game, 11 rebounds, three blocks, 77% shooting. Um how why how down are you on him? Let's start with that. Like, where are we talking? Are you out of the top ten, out of the top five? Like, how low are you on James Wiseman? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think I'm actually almost in the middle between where the actual NBA seems to be, where he's a consensus top three pick. Uh, I think everyone is assuming he's going to go in the top three somewhere. Yep. So that that's the practical side. Then you have you know what I would what I would describe as like NBA draft Twitter, and they are very low on him for the most part. Um, and most of that's role based. I think. Um, rightly so there's this um, propensity to downgrade a traditional center that's not going to be a game changer for you and I I honestly agree with that I think long term in the NBA that's not the guy that you want to build around unless they're absolutely special on offense and I don't really see that with Wiseman necessarily I'm kind of somewhere in the middle I think somewhere in the back half of the lottery maybe as early as like six or seven on my board something like that so I'm not super down on him I just think practically speaking I don't see the value in the top three to take a guy who my main issue with Wiseman is his offensive projection. Um, there's like he's been compared to guys like Chris Bosh and David yeah. Robinson. I think those guys are left-handed, and that's the reason why because Wiseman's left-handed. But I don't see the offensive upside. Yes, he's a great coordinated athlete. If you see him run in the open floor, it's pretty breathtaking, honestly, for a guy his size to move the way he does in a straight line. But laterally, he's not special. I don't think he moves. I don't think he slides laterally, especially and um, on defense. I think he's not he's not like a, necessarily a quick twitch athlete getting up like if if he can load up then yeah get out of the way but offensively I see him as a not as not not as low usage as as precious necessarily but I think he's probably going to be more of just a pick and roll big man on offense and he could be really good at that especially at his size as uh, with with the finishing that he could that he could possibly have but there's this dream notion of Wiseman 
as this guy who can really shoot it and be this super hybrid skilled center and there really isn't that evidence on tape really much of any much of anywhere i mean the college sample is what it is it's three games but pre-college i've watched a lot of him and yeah he looks good because he's obviously has huge physical um, advantages over everybody else but he doesn't really flash in the way that you would think that he would based on what you had heard about james wiseman but he's another guy who i think thinks that he is a perimeter player sometimes to his detriment so shot selection's a problem etc his path to stardom for me is defensively we can get it out into that if you want to but i think for me it's it's some combination of i don't love taking pure centers that aren't outlier special on offense and i don't think i don't this high anyway and i don't think he's going to be that i think his best path is defensively and yeah there's a chance he's a great defensive player but in the top two or three even in this bad draft i wouldn't go there i think you got to look at it like can he be yeah, for me to have him as a top three guy, he'd want to be Rudy Gobert defensively, pretty much. And I don't think he's yeah. going to be that, right? He, I think he's going to be an unbelievably good rim protector. He's big, he's athletic. He can have weak side help, he can protect the rim. That's all great. Switching, I don't know what the hell he's going to do there. I have real worries about <laughs> that. Offensively, you're right. Do you know what your role is? Now, in college, those three games, he was a little bit better at that. But some of his other stuff, like AAU games, he shot 50% on threes. It was 16 attempts across 10 games. So that's still probably taking too many. He also shot 59% on his free throws, which is, again, a worry there. Absolute black hole when he gets the ball. Assists just don't come from this guy. He cannot read where he needs to pass it. Not even assists. It's just can he read where the ball needs to go when he gets it? Otherwise, is the ball just going up? Is it just me and the rest of my guys standing around and watch? That's sort of a bit what it feels like. But again, we're looking at such smallish sample sizes here that we didn't get to see a 35-game season from him in college. And yeah, some of the AAU stuff's hard to get a real read on. I feel pretty confident he's going to be a really good paint defender. But... On the perimeter, closing out to shooters and stretch fives, I worry about that. And then offensively, I don't know where he goes. And the same thing that you said, that I don't want to spend a top three, a top two pick on a center to do that. I can find centers around who provide me 85% maybe of what he provides and don't have to have guaranteed contracts where they're getting paid $10 million or $9 million at year four of their rookie scale deal. Whereas I can maybe find a guy that does that at a much cheaper amount plus not have the pressure of being a top three pick. Therefore, I've got to play him and I've got to get him the ball. And then that really screws you up there. So I've had him all over the place in my mocks. I had him as high as four, I had him down to nine. My latest one, I had him at five. And that's mainly just because of uh, the team that was there, the, the Cavs and you know, just, I don't know where Andre Drummond goes, but is Wiseman any different to Drummond? It's so hard to judge what this guy is. Um, is there any hope for the shot, do you think? I, I'm not really buying it, but I I can see maybe glimmers of it. I think he could be a just fine standstill shooter, which there's some value in that. Um, just the ability to threaten it is a good thing. I wouldn't give up on it, but in in general, I agree with what you just said. Like, here's the thing: could he be Rudy Gobert defensively? I guess so. But projecting anyone to be Rudy Gobert defensively is just too too strong for me. Yep. Especially someone who we've not seen do it at a reasonably high level so far. Like that's certainly his ceiling outcome defensively. But overall, I mean, for me, it's like, can he be a game changer on either end of the floor? And defensively, there's a chance for it. Offensively. I don't really see that. And honestly, here's the thing. I think that there's a very, very good chance that James Wiseman is a quality, like, starting center in the NBA. And that's a good, reasonable, like, very valuable thing to have. If he ends up having a career, like, I'm not comparing the player, but if he ends up being like Clint Capella, like an above-average starting center, that's a good career for anyone. He's a, That's a good player. But 
Wiseman's strengths and weaknesses, especially in the modern playoffs, can he go out and play on the perimeter in a playoff series defensively for you? I think probably not. He doesn't really move very well laterally. I know he's a great athlete, but it's more physical. It's more um, vertical and all that stuff. So can he shoot? Maybe. But the comparisons that have been out there, and I'm not trying to bag on anybody, but like comparing him to Chris Bosh is just so silly. Chris Bosh is like this super elite, skilled big who became this hybrid guy and was a great shooter by the end, all this stuff. Wiseman's much more of a center. Like, he's much more of a traditional center. And, you know, 15 years ago, Wiseman being the number one overall pick wouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. And I think the league has done a good job in some pockets moving away from that guy. But we've seen in the, in the recent past, we saw DeAndre Ayton go number one overall. We saw Mo Bamba go in the top, you know, six or seven not that long ago. There's still vestiges of the center goes too high standard in the NBA. I think Wiseman, if he goes this high, if he goes up, if he goes one, if it's if there's a trade, if he goes two or three, that's just, it's kind of an old school thinking and that's not necessarily his fault. I think he's going to be a good player. It's just the value proposition is a little bit off for me. Yeah, exactly. Look, you could pick him at three or two and think, well, maybe it's Rudy Gobert, but would you be happy spending pick two on Hassan Whiteside? Probably not. Would you be happy no. spending that on Clint Capella? Would you be happy spending that like a certain team did a couple of years ago on Marvin Bagley? Now, they are quite different players, but Bagley was a guy whose game didn't really fit the modern NBA and he went way too high based on athleticism and look at his second jump potential and look at what maybe he can do. And obviously, he hasn't been able to do that in two years and again Bagley's defense is terrible and Wiseman's can be pretty good but there's still a lot of holes in both his defensive and offensive game so I'm with you I'm down on him I'm uh, but again it's part of this draft class being a little bit weaker that I've got him at number five but there, there could be a mistake made with James Wiseman let's just leave it at that another guy who could be a top five pick coming up uh, Brad is Denny Avdia from Maccabi Tel Aviv small forward six foot nine 19 years of age the numbers aren't going to wow anybody because, of course, it's Europe. So he played limited minutes, 22 minutes a night, nine points per game, two assists, you know, 0.7 steals and 0.7 blocks. 59% from the line is rough, and that is a consistent theme throughout all of his years basically playing in Europe. He hit 33% of his threes on limited attempts, and that uh, improved after a horrendous start. Like oh, those games after the restart, it did improve. Avdia is a guy that I've got, I think, going at number four in my mock draft. The Any Luka Doncic comparison, just completely just don't talk if that's what your comparison is. Unless you're going to say that, Brad, then you can talk and I'll tell you you're wrong. But <laughs> he's not Luka Doncic. He is a really strong cutter. He's a good finisher. He's a solid enough passer. The shooting's a worry. He can defend okay. But to me, he's, he's more... Um, Dario Saric than he is like a game-changing top three sort of a pick. We are in full agreement here. I think the uh, it's unfortunate and honestly, yeah, unfortunate the world the world that I'll use that he's been compared to Luca because that's not Denny's fault. He didn't no. ask for that, but that's that's a preposterous comparison. Luca did lots of different things at a higher level, better um, in pre NBA sample. They're different players. I know they're both you know similar sized white guys from Europe, but that's about it. Um, yeah. Going to the actual player himself, I think that there's a lot to like about Denny. Honestly, I've, I've kind of been painted, at least in my Hawks circles, as like kind of down on him. And I feel bad about that because I've always kind of liked his game. Um, I'm, I'm just uncomfortable with how far he's risen in some of these boards and some of the scenarios where I'm hearing he's likely to be gone by the time Atlanta picks at six, which means he's a top five pick in this draft. And yes, it's, this is a bad draft. So that isn't the same cachet as usual, but his skill set does not scream top five pick to me. And that's as someone, I really value role players. And I think he's going to be a good role player in the NBA. He does a lot of things well. And honestly, doesn't take much off the table. The big question is the shooting. Like you said, the free throw shooting is bad. There were, some good sam- there, was, there were some good sample flashes at the end of last season with his shooting. But overall, it is a question mark. It looks okay for the most part, but it hasn't gone in. Um, and 
beyond that, the biggest concern, if you want to say that, is that he doesn't really do anything excellently well. Yeah. He does a lot of things okay, and that's a good package to have as a role player. He is a good passer. He's a good cutter on offense. There's a lot to like there, but not really an elite guy to anything. Like He doesn't really blow by guys. He's not a great finisher. Um, he's not a great athlete. Defensively, he's solid kind of across the board. He stays in front of guys. He positions himself well. He plays good off-ball defense. He gets in passing lanes. But he's not going to be a game-changer defensively. He's not that great of an athlete. He's not a lockdown guy. He doesn't make tons of blocks and steals. He just kind of checks a lot of boxes, and Dario Sarch is a good comparison for him through that prism. But my question is always, what does his ceiling look like? And that's, that's where I am a little bit lower. I think his floor is pretty high, and I'm pretty confident that if you're a team that's drafting him, you're not going to get a bust. And the teams that he's actually a great fit on in this lottery, like he'd be great on the Warriors. He really would be. Oh yeah. But at number at number two overall, I don't see that being a thing. If if Golden State uh, trades down to draft someone like Tyrese Halliburton or Denny Abdia, both of which would fit very well there, sign me up. And I guess there's an argument to just not care about um, value and draft the guy that you want. But Denny Abdia doesn't really have the kind of upside that I'd be looking for with a top three, four, five pick in this draft. Yeah, I agree. Look, I had him at number four, but that's not a regular number four. And fitting on the bulls where they need wings and he can sort of fit in around other guys and doesn't need to be high usage, it, it's, it makes sense. But it's not he's not a top four pick. He's not a... Um, He's not a star in the making. He's Otto Porter who can't shoot. And like, how valuable is that as a player? Probably not as good of a defender, better of a, as an offensive cutter, but and better and obviously a significantly better passer. But he's not he's not anything in particularly special. And I think that's really good having that strong, solid floor. I think star upside's low, but I think star upside's low in the, in this entire draft. And that's sort of where we sit with most of these players. But again. He did some pretty interesting things in Europe um, in the limited time and playing in the EuroLeague. They're not they're not going to wow you. They're not fantastic numbers. He'll probably be similar in the NBA where he's a solid rotation piece, maybe as a starter. But I, I think we need to just really be careful with our expectations for him. The last guy is someone that I did put into my first round the last time I did my mock draft. He, he wasn't in there before, but I snuck him in at 26. And that's Robert Woodard from Mississippi State. Small forward, six foot seven, 43% three-point shooting, Average a block per game coming off the wing as well. Um, yeah, big, good steal numbers too. A little bit of a disconnect again between his free throws and his three-point percentage. And also 43% shooter as a sophomore, 27% shooter as a freshman, and very limited attempts. So I don't really know what to make of the shooting. But if that sticks and the defensive stuff sticks, uh, an interesting type of 3 and D wing. Yeah, I mean, Woodard is interesting to me. Um, he's getting a little bit of attention late, and I, I can I can definitely see why because he doesn't do anything poorly. And if you really believe in the shooting, there's a lot to like. Like it, it didn't always go in in college, but I think he's gonna be I think he's gonna be able to be able to shoot at a reasonable level. He is physically gifted, and he fits that you know plug and play archetype. He's a big, powerful guy. If he shoots it well, that's the biggest swing for everybody. But I think he's just okay at everything else, and not in a bad way. It's just that. This is a guy who at one point was talking about as a second round pick. And if you're that size and you can hold up defensively and knock down open jump shots, at a certain point in any draft, that becomes a value. And I'm not telling you it's definitely going to be the case for him. But yeah, there's a reason why he's gone from people having him in the 50s up to where he now is kind of sitting around in a pretty solid area to maybe be a first round pick. And it's just that there isn't a lot to nitpick. There isn't a lot to fall in love with either, so that you can kind of see both sides. He's kind of boring, but at the same time, 
Boring can be good if you're looking for a role player at a certain level of this draft. And most guys in this class have a weakness or two that are pretty glaring. And if you believe in in Water's jump shot, he doesn't really have a huge, I don't know, a huge downside weakness if you buy the shot. That's kind of where I would leave it because that's the swing scale for most role players in the modern NBA on the wing or at, and, at, and at forward. But he made enough of them to inspire some confidence and everything else just kind of okay, which is probably enough. Yeah, that's sort of what I was looking at when doing my mock draft is, okay, well, we know getting wings who can maybe shoot and provide solid enough defense is going to be useful because you can just rotate those guys through and having a few of them is important. And that's probably why he jumped up a little bit if that shot is real. If he comes in as a 30% shooter from three over a couple of seasons, then you like, where, where do I stick this guy? Like, what, what do I do with him? Does he turn into Andre Robertson or, you know, where does, where does he go in terms of like, he's a worse defender than Lou Dort, but a marginally better shooter. Like, it's hard to find where he fits X. He's never going to be a takeover offensive guy. He's never going to be an elite passer or anything along those lines. It's defense and shooting and We've got conflicting samples with the shot as to whether it's going to go in at a high rate, whether it's going to go in at an average rate. We don't know. 43% is you know, not going to happen, most likely, at the NBA. But can it be 37 or will it be 32? They are the big questions, I guess, with Robert Woodard coming in. But worth a look at the end of the first round. Probably, probably more likely going to be a second-round player. But he is getting some buzz, as you mentioned. Brad, thank you for coming on, talking about some draft prospects with me. Tell everybody about uh, your stuff, podcasts, articles, everything that you've got going on. Yeah, thanks for having me. As always, I am the host of the Locked on Hawks podcast, talking about a ton of draft stuff on my show. Um, a lot of it's Hawks-driven, but a lot of it's not at this point in time. We've been trying to kill you know, seven months now yeah. without uh, without the Hawks playing basketball, so it's become almost an NBA draft show for the most part. So even if you're not a Hawks fan, there's probably something for you, for you there as well. I write about the NBA draft and the NBA in general over at Dime on Uproxx. You can find me there as well. And on my Twitter, at BT Rowan, I tweet out everything that I write, so you can find all of it there. Go and check Brad out and check out Locked on Hawks and all of his draft writing. Brad, thank you again for coming on. Thanks, Josh.